You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to another edition of the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead on all things in North Carolina politics and government. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We have a good show for you. Finally, the legislature out of town adjourning eight months after they came in. A long session. It's always a long session, but this was a long session. And so we'll talk about it, put a bow on it, wrap it up. And of course, uh, talk a little bit about what's ahead and then our headliners of the week. Don't skip ahead. I know that you're already trying to scroll to the end, but stick with us. We have a good show for you. So let's start with uh, the final days of the legislature. Colin, actually the final hours, really, if you can keep it all straight. We have Colin Campbell with the News and Observer here, Benjamin Brown of The Insider, Patrick Gannon of The Insider, Taylor Knopf is here. We'll even hear from Liz Bell, intern Liz Bell later. All right, Colin Campbell. So uh, they went out at 4 in the morning. They came in at uh, some some earlier time. It was uh, hard to keep track. Bring us up to speed. They did a lot, but uh, give us just a flavor of uh, that final uh, hours, the final day there, final two days. Uh, what was it like? And then we'll kind of break down a little bit about what they did. Well, those final two days, Monday and Tuesday this week, were a truly exhausting way to make public policy. The House, uh, I think, started their meetings on uh, Monday morning at 11. Uh, they were in session till about 11 p.m. on Monday night. Uh, they came back, and there was an appropriations meeting that started at 8.30 in the morning on Tuesday. So that was the, the beginning of Tuesday's action. Tuesday's action did not wrap up until 4.18 a.m. on Wednesday. So lots of extremely, extremely tired lawmakers by the time uh, – that they got out of there, and tired reporters as well, I should say. Uh, but uh, a, a big flurry of uh, legislative action towards the end there. They passed bills involving uh, legalization of hemp production. They took care of the um, presidential primary uh, dates, making some tweaks to that. Uh, there was a bill about the UNC Board of Governors term limits and uh, transparency in the uh, search process for the new president, uh, plus a number of other things that uh, in many cases came up last minute, had very little vetting. Some of it uh, made the final crush. Some of it just quietly died in the late hours of Tuesday night. Uh, so a, a lot of action in a very short period of time to, to keep track of. Ben Brown, you were there. What was it like? There was sort of a uh, sense of self-preservation going on when it came to finding ways to have fun and kind of cope with the late hours. Senators Jane Smith and Paul Lowe. Senator Lowe was kind of playing the part of DJ in the Senate chambers for what you could sort of in a way call a political after party because it was uh, around 3 a.m. if I remember right. A lot of old soul songs on his playlist, uh, including Sam Cooke, who's pretty undeniable if you feel like dancing. And sure enough, I look up and see Lowe and Senator Smith cutting a rug, which... I think was one, yeah, the, the, you know, the sign that we can still be in good spirits at such an hour. Did you just say but cutting a rug? Cutting a rug. They were okay. cutting a rug on the uh, okay. Senate floor. Okay. And again, in survival mode at that point, because, you know, they had to do what they had to do to stay alive as the night drug on, because it was still far from over at that point, about an hour or so left. Yeah. Of, uh, and before that time,
Tom Apodaca and uh, Andrew Brock were playing, playing football on the Senate floor. Lieutenant Governor joined in too at mm. one point. Yeah. Okay, so it got a little silly there. It got silly. Yeah. Well, there was the this end. long waiting period because it, after about midnight, there was really only one bill left to pass. This technical corrections bill, which is basically just designed to fix any mistakes in earlier laws that they've passed this session, uh, but that had to go through negotiations between the two chambers and then get printed up, uh, and so that was a several-hour process that really only began at about. 12.30 or 1 o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what drug out till 4 in the morning. So for two or three hours, all 170 members of the legislature, at least the ones that were still awake, uh, were there with really nothing to do um, all the way until 4 in the morning when they came back into session to do that final bill and get out of there. And we'll talk about, there were there were some substantial uh, bills that sort of came and went, the local government uh, one, there was the hemp uh, issue, but Patrick Gannon, I, w- I wanted to ask you this idea of this cramming. I mean, it happens a lot um, over the years. We've we've seen that, but is this you know a way to to make public policy uh, up against these deadlines like this? Uh, did you? Talk to anybody about that. Just what, what, you know, where, what's your sense of that? Well, first of all, I just want to mention that that it looked like the lieutenant governor had a. I'm sorry, yeah, the lieutenant governor had a pretty good arm, Senator Andrew, <laughs> Senator Andrew Brock, not so much. Um, the uh, so back to your question. Um, no, I don't think it's a good way to make public policy, but we have seen this every year under Democratic control, Republican control. It always seems like not only crossover dates. Um, when they've got to get all all the legislation passed through one chamber or another to keep it eligible, but also at the very end of sessions, we get these late night, early morning cram sessions, as you said. And Trisha Cotham, Representative Trisha Cotham, who's one of the more prolific tweeters in in the House, was tweeting, you know, be safe, you know, to all her legislative colleagues because by four fifteen, four twenty in the morning. Um, nobody's in a condition where it's probably safe for them to be on the road. And some of these legislators have to drive hours, you know, to get home. I had to drive 15 minutes home and I, I felt a little bit imperiled at six at five thirty in the morning when I finally got out of here. Woozy. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we asked, uh, uh, house speaker, Tim Moore, um, right before the session adjourned as they were waiting for documents to be printed. Why such late, why such late nights? And what he told us was, we knew coming in Tuesday morning what bills we needed to pass. We knew what we needed to do. It's just a matter of doing it. Uh, so they passed all, the, all this legislation. They had debates throughout the day. And he said part of, part of what took so long was we, we didn't cut off debate. We let people have their say on all these bills we wanted to pass. And then he said just the logistics of it, getting bills printed, uh, the clerks doing their job, getting the stuff online, just the kind of uh, inertia that goes along with um, passing bills is what took so long. My question is, why wait till the final day of session on the last day of September because they want to get get out of here before October so it looks a little bit better for them? Why didn't, why didn't they pass a lot of this legislation months ago? They were in session for eight months, but yet this happens every year. It happens a lot. It's yeah. sort of the baseball trading deadline. There's no trades until there's a deadline, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the, the kid on the bus writing his book report uh, on the way to school. So, Colin Campbell, um, you followed uh, one of the bigger uh, bills that was moving around this um, local government uh, bill. I wonder if you might just... Really, it sort of encapsulized the whole day, that one bill, right? Yeah, I'd say so. So this is a bill... 
It was originally a bill about uh, qualifications for professional counselors and also had some provisions about sex ed in it uh, when it uh, came through the two chambers. It had to go through a conference committee negotiations between the House and the Senate, and those negotiations wrapped up sometime late Monday night, and their uh, their final uh, negotiated report came out, was posted online around midnight, 1 a.m. By morning, uh, local officials across the state were beginning to notice that there was something unrelated to sex ed or counseling in this bill, and it was a bill that would a provision that would basically prevent local governments from passing rules related to uh, housing practices, to uh, uh, workplace practices such as a uh, minimum wage, that sort of thing. It would also strike down non-discrimination ordinances that uh, a number of cities have passed in recent years. So they're very upset, saying this is a, a serious infringement on local government power. The argument for it was that uh, under the state constitution, the feeling was that cities shouldn't be doing this anyway, that this is all uh, the sort of matters the state should be handling. Um, but now, was this the culmination of months of discussion about this issue? Had this been in committees? And Oh, absolutely yeah. not. This was a bill that, or a provision that had not been in any other legislation. Oh, okay. uh, as far as we know, no one publicly was talking about this, but this was something that mm -hmm. uh, apparently the two uh, committee uh, conference committee negotiator, Chairman uh, Chad Barefoot and Paul Stamm, uh, were in interested in doing, and they mm -hmm. felt like somehow it could not wait until the short session. Uh, so they got this in this bill last minute. In a flavor of RIFRA, the Religious Freedom uh, Restoration yeah, Act. Yeah, so, right? so you saw... Part of that issue, they're, you know... Yeah, so in addition to, you know, county commissioners, mayors, that sort of thing coming out against the spill, we also saw a big lobbying push from Equality NC and some of these other uh, LGBT advocacy groups that had been pushing against RIFRA earlier in the session and felt like this was sort of RIFRA light to take away uh, the gains that those groups have had on the local level. Mm -hmm. um, and in part, maybe in response from what happened in Charlotte earlier this year, there was a, a non-discrimination uh, ordinance that fell short just barely on the, the Charlotte City Council that... Uh, had a lot of consternation from uh, some on the, the religious right who were concerned that it would allow transgender people to use bathrooms for the gender that they were not biologically a part of. Um, so there was so feeling they, that was had a lot to do with it. And so they brought this up and they passed it and it's now law? No. Um, oh, what happened? Yeah, this was the, one of the most interesting legislative machinations I've probably seen all session. Um, what happened was it, it came up on the floor, uh, I think Tuesday afternoon, people started to debate it, you know, had fiery opinions on, on either side between the two parties. Darren Jackson gets up partway through debate, a representative a Democrat from Wake County, uh, and says, our House rules require that if you put something brand new in a conference report that no one's seen before, it has to go through a committee process. Um, and so he tells Tim Moore, the House Not Speaker, a bad rule. Yeah, a little more uh, vetting for something that otherwise is not getting much vetting. Um, and House Speaker Tim Moore responds to him that uh, you snooze, you lose, that he should have made that motion before the debate started. And because they've already spent 15 minutes debating it, he'd like to continue. Um, but then Jackson makes a motion uh, to send it to rules via a full uh, chamber vote. So uh, he can still send it to rules get, if he gets the entire chamber to vote on that it should go to the Rules Committee uh, for a further hearing. Um, and in a very narrow margin, they agreed to send it to rules. It goes to rules a couple hours later. And uh, Paul Stamm, who's supporting this provision, explains it, and then he Stamm makes a motion to have the committee reported out without making a recommendation, either favorable or unfavorable, to uh, what's in the report. Just kick it back up. Yeah, to kick it back team. up. So yeah. Stamm's wanting to get this out of committee in a way that doesn't require people to really take a stand on it one way or the other. And that motion failed. It failed in the committee. Yeah, wow. so the committee voted down the motion to send it back to the floor without a recommendation. Mm. 
initially was no that one, a voice vote or uh, it was a voice uh, uh, they actually did do a show of hands they did a um, show of hands so it was something like was it close seven to 14 i believe seven to 14 uh, so yeah that so, got bottled up yeah yeah and and even at that moment the rules chairman in this moment of confusion david lewis i asked him you know is this dead what what does this mean for this bill and he said he he didn't know he thought it might be dead mm-hmm. but he had to check with lawyers so it was a couple hours after that before we knew for certain uh that uh lewis could not procedurally find a way under the house's rules to bring this back up in any way shape or form at least this session perhaps in the short session we may see it in another form but fascinating and if you are listening and if you've stayed with us we know that you're interested in this uh on the <laughs> dome cast and so uh what wow so, so all of that really all happening in a space of hours on the last day yeah, absolutely. Of, of and, legislature. A, and a huge victory for the Democrats in a sense that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, had Darren Jackson not pulled this procedural motion, would we be talking about this local government provision as the newest uh, law of the state? I don't right. know. Yeah. Uh, ben Brown, you were following, uh, there was a hemp uh, issue yeah. similar, mm-hmm. right? That came up sort of the last day there, last hours of the session. Tell us about that. Yeah, something that came up during a committee meeting. Uh, Representative Jeff Collins had presented this, uh, I believe it was a Senate bill that was PCS'd out that would allow for an industrial hemp uh, runway, so to speak, in North Carolina. It would set up a pilot project and I believe an industrial hemp commission to kind of help shepherd this new industry that could be a good uh, alternative crop for former tobacco growers or people who just want to uh, have, have a new avenue to make some money on the, on the farming level. Well, when it came up, uh, well, th- th- there were two things to say. Uh, one, Representative John Torbett raised the question. I think he probably knew the answer, but he just wanted to get the answer out of the way was, are we legalizing marijuana? The answer quickly was no, it's it's a different kind of thing. Industrial hemp uh, does not have any meaningful level of THC. You can't get high off it. So that was kind of put out of the way. But the other concern was that, and this came from Representative Leo Daughtry. He asked the question. Uh, Republican from Johnson, Johnson County. Johnson, that's mm-hmm. right. And he said, you know, like, I, I don't think I've heard about this before. You know, what, did you file this as a standalone bill? Is this brand new? It was brand new. It, you, you still got the sense that it had been in the works for quite some time because I had the support from the Association of County Commissioners. It was done, um, I think, in consultation with uh, the Sheriff's Association just to kind of iron out any concern about any sort of like drug affiliation, um, among other things. But when it when it was answered that uh, that this was, for the most part, a new a uh, bit of language, Daughtry said, you know, this sounds like a great idea. I just hate that it's coming up at the very last bit of session. You know, we, we got, you know, a, a day or two left of session. And now this is something brand new that maybe should have been vetted in a committee. Did it go through an agriculture committee? The answer was no. So and, and that, of course, wasn't the only bill that received that kind of criticism. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, you know, that, that, that's another example of just something that kind of popped up at the mm-hmm. end. And it did become law. Wow. And so... Um and I say, wow, just because it's interesting. Uh, Taylor Knopf, you were following uh, another another thing that was settled there on the last day. The uh, the end result is we do now know that we will have a primary on what day? March 15th. So March 15th is the primary both for the presidential candidates, the state candidates, uh, everybody. It's all on one date. Is that right? Right. And the bond referendum. And the bond referendum. So tell us, um, there was some back and forth on that the last day. What was the issue there and how was it resolved? Well, they actually settled this at the end of last week. Both the House and the Senate chambers passed it. So we thought it was a done deal. But then we were starting to hear that it rumors that it would come back up, that the governor had some issues. David Lewis ended up meeting with him and Speaker Moore at one point. And uh, so the last day, or maybe second to last day, we had this 
uh, new edition come up. And basically, it had to do with that very last provision tacked on at the end that would allow these campaign funds for legislative caucuses, basically to act like their own state parties and funnel, you know, funds to these mm-hmm. campaign money yeah campaign money, campaign money the people wanting to run for office in either the house or the senate and uh so at the very last day they added on another provision allowing the council of state to have their own campaign fund as well so the governor lieutenant governor and those mm-hmm. offices so that was kind of the last thing apparently the governor wanted his mm-hmm. <laughs> his he in on this expanded well. it a little bit right yeah. right and this whole idea of having these separate campaign funds put a wedge between, you know, elected Republican officials and the state party. And so on Tuesday, we saw this last minute, quick, like, come now press. And we had this impromptu press conference where, you know, state party officials and um, legis- the top legislators, Berger and Moore, ended up all kind of patching up their differences over this and saying, yes, we support the state party. This is not to make them irrelevant. This is just another campaign tool. And the new executive director of the Republican Party, Dallas Woodhouse, said, yes, we want them to have as many tools for re-election and election as possible. Mm-hmm. So, so a little show of unity there right. in the uh, lobby of the legislature. Is that right? It was mm-hmm. right there at the front right. steps. Front right of the red stairs. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Uh, let's take a break and we will come back, talk a little bit about what is ahead. And of course, we have um, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's just happened. So uh, always use caution when talking about what's next. But we'll take a stab at that. And then we will have our headliners of the week. Have you checked out the newly designed News and Observer this week? You'll see changes that make all of our products more visually appealing while giving you in-depth coverage and new ways of storytelling. Visit new.newsobserver.com to learn more about the new ways for your news day. As a listener to the Domecast, we have a special offer for you. You can receive the News and Observer Digital Edition for only 99 cents for four weeks. This includes unlimited access to NewsObserver.com, mobile, iPad apps, and the print replica e-edition. Just head over to NewsObserver.com, click subscribe at the top of the page, and enter the promo code DOMECAST to receive this special offer. And we're back on the Domecast. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We are going to talk now about what's next. Uh, Patrick Gannon of The Insider, Benjamin Brown of The Insider, both uh, got into some reporting on that. Uh, Patrick Gannon, tell us who you talked to and what did you learn? What's coming up? Um, Well, we talked to, uh, on the last day of session, we talked to uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, we talked to uh, several of the top senators, uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger, uh, Senator Tom Apodaca, you know, and uh, Senator Harry Brown, who's the budget, the budget guy. And we just kind of said, what should we expect in 2016? And we kind of got sort of a mixed message, but but also, you know, some kind of, I guess, similarities in, in what they expect. Um, the budget, as usual, in the short session, you know, the budget tweaking. Uh, will be a priority. Will be the probably the, the top priority. Um, House Speaker Tim Moore said that he definitely his chamber definitely wants to look into uh, or strongly consider raises for for state employees. You know across the board type raises for state employees, um, which 
didn't happen this year. They got $750 bonuses, or I think they'll get them in December. Um, and it doesn't, uh, as you, you talked on the Domecast two weeks ago with uh, Governor McCrory, he's not in favor of that. He's not, and neither yeah. is the Senate for the most part, I don't think. Yeah, so. But they're going to push for that. It's also an election year next year for the General Assembly, so that probably gives it at least a, a little bit um, better chance of passing. They also want uh, cost of living uh, increases for uh, those on the state retiree program. Uh, they didn't get that this year. Uh, kind of looked for a while like they would, but then in the final budget they did not. So, so, and they also said, you know, there'll be a lot of tweaking. There was a, some a bunch of major things done this session, and they said they'll want to kind of look back and examine what they did this session and how it's working, and then tweak, you know, tweak those things. Uh, ben also, you know, asked about taxes. You know, are we going to see, you know, major tax reform? The, the kind of sense was no, there wouldn't be anything major in taxes, but maybe some minor tweaks here and there. Uh, the speaker told me that um, he, he and, and this has been kind of what the House has said all along. They kind of want to see how all the tax reform from the past two or three years shakes out, what revenues look like before they do anything major. But then they, they kind of ended up doing a lot more this session than uh, on the tax front than than a lot of people anticipated. So. Benjamin Brown of The Insider, tell us what did you learn about what is next? Yeah, that, that covers a lot of it. But And I will say, uh, keep in mind, I asked this question at 3 a.m. to senators about, you know, what, what did we miss from this past session? What might we see in the short session? They couldn't quickly think of anything on their agenda that they didn't accomplish in one form or another. I mean, there were individual bills that they can get through. You know, Senator Berger noted the... Uh, uh, charter school funding bill that the Senate sent over that the House didn't deal with, uh, then you can, you know, maybe call all the way back to RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, even though, you know, that, that can get through, although we mentioned, you know, the son of RIFRA uh, kind of attempt in the local government provision. But Senator Harry Brown pointed to, you know, Medicaid, the sales tax redistribution effort, even though it changed quite a bit from its first proposal. You can kind of fill in the blanks from there, but we wanted to know, you know, what 2016 would look like as they see it right now. And Brown and Apodaca thought, for the most part, that it would be uh, a session of just sort of, you know, tightening up some of this year's reforms as needed. Some pointed out that, uh, as Pat said, too, it's an election year. Sometimes that has an impact on what you're willing to do or not do. But Senator Berger, had a, he had a few ideas. He said he wants to continue with some tax changes. Tax reform, looking at the franchise tax, looking at deductions, things that you can simplify. He also said there's more to be done in education policy, including, you know, coming up with some sort of incentive or bonus or perk to get highly qualified teachers in those challenging positions that otherwise they might not want to be in. Uh, and he capped it all by saying, you know, there's a ton of stuff that we can't even think of at the moment, you know, things that haven't happened yet that legislators might have to respond to, you know, like, will there be another coal ash, so to speak? So remains to be seen. Well, let's hope there's not another coal ash. Let's but, hope not. But right. There is always uh, things that emerge, um, you know, on the education front, um, uh, Lynn Bonner has been reporting there are some groups, uh, uh, you know, business-backed type education uh, advocacy groups uh, that are, you know, concerned that there wasn't a, a bigger push on education. And uh, there'll be a story on that uh, coming in the next few days, hopefully uh, being the Sunday uh, News and Observer. Patrick Gannon, though, uh, bring us out on this segment uh what, what, what else uh, is ahead? Well, the session, next year's session starts uh, Monday, April 25th, which is... 200 days from now. Yeah, something like that. For those that, who are counting. Which is actually um, fewer days from now than um, the beginning of this year's session is from now. So we don't get much of a break, at least not nearly what we normally get. 
um, since the session this year's session went long and next year's session starts early. And part of the reason it's starting early is because the primary primaries are earlier, so the general the general assembly will will um, uh, get come back earlier. Um, there's also um, the sense that in, in talking to the, the top Republicans that they want it to be a true short session next year. And we'll, we'll believe that when we see it. Um, so they're going to start two weeks earlier, yeah, which they means wanna, they'll leave two weeks yeah, sooner? Yeah, which gives them more time to campaign in their districts and, and, and that kind of thing. But um, they, they, they really think they want it. They think they got most of what they wanted to uh, accomplish for the biennium done. Um, but then they also couched it with, you never know what's going to come up between now and then. It's kind of uh, been alluded to. So, And I asked him more specifically about social issues. And he said, I feel like we've got all the social issues out of the way. But, um, I, you know, he, he also couched it with, I'm sure something will come up on that front, too. And we all know that guns and abortion and, and things like that are always at the top of legislators' minds. So I don't know how short it's going to be, really, next year. Well, we'll be watching. Uh, of course, the biggest thing will be what the uh, tax revenues uh, and the revenues look like, which we'll learn sometime in May. So let's take a break, and we'll be back with our headliners of the week. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the Domecast. Let's get right to our headliners of the week. This is the moment where we uh, nominate somebody 45 seconds to explain why they should be the headliner of the week. And then we have some fun and pick somebody. Um, Let's see. Who should we start with? Uh, Benjamin Brown of The Insider. Tell us. Who is your headliner of the week? I'm going to do Representative Charles Graham. He's a uh, Democrat who had some pretty strong words during the debate over illegal immigration and how we should treat people coming into the country. Uh, Graham's a Native American. He said his ancestors were welcoming to the Europeans who came here. He said, uh, quote, we could have chopped your heads off. We could have scalped you. And now here you are with the stance denying people the opportunity who want to come here. So I'm going to say Representative Charles Graham for those strong words. Representative Charles Graham. Wow, that was quick. Didn't even have to you look for. Out? I didn't even have to look for the bill. You have more time if you want. No, let's uh, let's move along. Uh, Patrick Gannon, tell us who is your headliner of the week. I'm going to go with uh, Representative Paul Skip Stam, the Apex Republican, who's in his eighth term in the House. He announced as the session adjourned uh, last week that he wouldn't run for another term next year. So he last year or next year will be his last. Uh, hurrah in the General Assembly. He's the second lawyer with a lot of kind of institutional General Assembly knowledge uh, to announce they're leaving this year. Representative Rick Glazier from uh, Cumberland County is already gone. Um, both of them are lawyers who, 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 who were very productive in the House. Um, Stam has always been a champion for uh, school choice and pro-life causes. He's also, because for, for those reasons, he's kind of a lightning rod uh, type politician. So Paul Skip Stam is my uh, headliner of the week. Announcing his uh, resignation there on the floor of the House, right? 
Okay. Um, so Skip Stam, Representative Paul Stam in the mix. Let's go now to Liz Bell. Intern Liz Bell, tell us who is your headliner of the week. I'm going to go with Billy Graham. He's been coming up uh, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks in, le- in the legislature. Um, the House passed a resolution last week um, to get the 96-year-old uh, evangelist on a postage stamp. And then just today, as um, we're filming this, um, Governor McCrory is over at the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte. He just signed a bill that will, once Graham passes away, um, have a statue in the U.S. Capitol to represent the state. So, yeah, I'm going with Billy Graham as a symbol, according to our state legislators um, of our state and what it stands for. Billy Graham would be replacing... Governor Acock. Acock's statue in the Capitol. Of course, they would have to raise some money. Probably won't be a problem there. Uh, interesting um, uh, nominee. Okay, so let's go now to Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. Tell us, who is your headliner of the week? Well, I'm going for a pairing this week, the uh, bipartisan singing duo of Senator Jerry Tillman, a Republican from Archdale, and Senator Mike Woodard, Democrat from Durham, who uh, broke into song in the late hours of the uh, Senate session uh, on the Senate floor, I guess early Wednesday morning, singing uh, we think was a version of Long Black Veil, but um, it was a little bit off-key and a little bit hard to tell, but uh, sort of this uh, it embodies this uh, sort of sense of camaraderie between these two guys who are absolute political opposites in every possible way, but can get along, you know, when they're outside the the structure of a a typical legislative debate. And it's the sort of civility uh, we could stand to see a little bit more of in politics, uh, especially as we get close to a local election here where uh, people are calling Raleigh drunk town and accusing each other of trying to turn the city's politics into a a place that embodies the uh, drunk town downtown, as we saw in an ad in the NNO earlier this week. So Mm -hmm. it's it's quite a contrast in, in sort of how politics can be done in the state mm-hmm. ding i should have ring the bell a while ago but i let yeah, you go let me uh, ramble a little no bit. that's all right um okay there's there's uh, shouts from the gallery that that should be the winner um so yeah it is it is interesting a lot of time you know and even if you look at the votes um there are more uh issues that there is agreement on than than not and sometimes we forget that so that's a good reminder all right let's see uh taylor knopf tell us who is your headliner of the week i'm nominating the new executive director of the state republican party dallas woodhouse he's been in the spotlight before for other reasons he's actually a complete opposite to his brother brad woodhouse and the two Notably, have been scolded by their mother on CNN for, or not CNN, sorry, C-SPAN, for mm-hmm. fighting during Thanksgiving about politics. Um, so he's the new executive director. His first week on the job, he was already in action, standing next to Senator Bill Berger and uh, Speaker Tim Moore and Chairman Hassan Harnett, trying to reunite the Republican Party. And so, yeah, I'm going to go with him. Mm, that's a good, uh, good one there. He. Uh, surely had something to do with that moment that we talked about earlier where they were uh, standing there on was it the last day very last day it was the last day so in the midst of all that flurry they had an impromptu press conference so dallas woodhouse goes into the hat 
as a headliner of the week. And so now this is the moment I'm looking around. Everybody has talked. All right. uh, So who is the headliner of the week? I don't think there's any question that it is uh, Skip Stam is the headliner of the week. And uh, I hope to to, uh, say more about that actually for Sunday's Dome. But it is uh, Stam is worth more than just a passing mention. Another a lawmaker who uh, is resigning, and so um, I'll leave it at that. Hopefully, we can uh, you can check out uh, Sunday's Dome for a little bit more on sort of where Stam fits in this period over the last I don't know ten fifteen years really. Um, interesting guy. I talked with uh, Patrick Gannon. You mentioned uh, Rick Glazier. I talked with Rick Glazier about Stam in the last uh, day or so, and so we'll relay some of his comments as well. So let's go out. We'll find some audio from Stam announcing his resignation uh, or retirement. I don't know what to call it um, on the floor. And uh, so we'll we'll go out with that as we uh, thank you for listening and uh, thank the legislature for going home as we will now get to uh, get back to a normal pace, hopefully. And uh, we thank you always for uh, reading on The Insider and the News and Observer. And we will, of course, see you soon. Uh, Mr. Speaker, members of the House, I will not be a candidate for reelection to the House. The new filing schedule means that I should make this decision and let the public know sooner than I would have wished. When my term ends, it will be, will have been 16 years in the House. When I first came here, I had a long action list to accomplish, but the longer I've stayed, the longer the list grows. I'll never get to the end of it. So, the 2016 session will be a whirlwind of action as the Senate passes all the bills I've sent them and that I've kept safely in storage in Senate rules or Senate ways and means. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.